Greetings, lovers and diners. Welcome to another episode of Hidden Apron Radio with me, your host, Paolo Espanola. Forgive the the cars zooming by here in noisy New York City. Uh, and I first must apologize for the very long gap between the last episode and this one. It's been quite some time that I had to actually look up how to use this tech because I completely forgot <laughs> now that we have this long and extended break. So just to fill in those who haven't been following us, hint, hint, you should, uh, on social media. Uh, we've been quite busy these past few months going from a 260-person dinner out in Minnesota to our first TV appearance and just a few weeks ago actually catering a mansion party for one of our favorite charities and seeing some of our idols in the food space. Uh, needless to say, we needed a little bit of a break. Um, and looking back, it's it's been such a crazy ride starting out as a ragtag team in my kitchen in a cramped apartment in East Village to doing all these events and, and getting our name out there now. So we've been really grateful for that, but we needed a little bit of time to relook at things, look at how we're doing our work and not just blindly doing the motions so that we can keep producing and, and making great content for you guys. So needless to say, we are taking a break from doing a lot of our dinners just for a short while while we look at our operations and making sure that we can keep doing them uh, before we burn out. But until then, we will continue to drop podcasts. We have a, a good lineup coming up in the next couple of weeks, some good content that I just have to edit. With that lengthy explanation and obvious excuse out of the way, this episode is something that I've actually been looking forward to dropping for a while now, uh, just because of the fact that it covers a lot of topics that I personally am super, super interested in. It's almost the intersection of all my, of all of uh, what I do from a day-to-day -day basis. So today I will be sharing with you guys a conversation I had a while ago with Hillary Reeves who's a blogger slash friend slash uh, somewhat data geek. And I use that term in a very, very good way, uh, like myself. So it's actually a double whammy of a podcast because we cover two big pieces. One is the blogging aspect, and, and Hill Reeves is the name of her blog. You should check it out. There's some really good content out there. But we cover all the things about blogging that I've always wondered about, the basics, you know, how to choose a name, um, what are the hacks that go into the actual work around it, especially since she's been blogging for quite some time now, and the surprising tips and tricks that you need to consider when trying to uh, put up a successful blog and becoming a, a real person who produces content and not just something for traffic. But the second part of it where we pivot around is actually around her day hustle, her day gig, which is being the marketing manager of a company, a startup called Chicory. And basically, Chicory is a web app that seeks to, quote, make recipes a reality. And what that means is making recipes shoppable. Uh, so check them out. It's actually a pretty useful tool that I think will will has the potential to change the way we shop for our ingredients. And so for that part of the conversation, we talked about data and how data-driven tools like Chicory can really form the way companies make products. Uh, it can inform the way we, we think about how people cook, something that I personally am interested in and is a, a big reason why we, we do what we do here at Hidden Apron. Needless to say, it was a very, very fun and very enlightening conversation on a lot of topics that I 
I love and enjoy reading about in my spare time what little remains. So even if you're not a blogger and maybe you're not even considering uh, starting a blog, I would highly, highly encourage you to at least skip to the second part of our conversation around midway when she starts talking about data. As always, you can check out our website for links uh, to the show notes, links of the things that we discussed during the podcast, hiddenapron.com. And we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, Twitter, at Hidden Apron. That's the same as our email, hiddenapron at gmail.com. And for food porn, any links to events that are coming up, any dinners and details of who we're working with, Instagram at hidden underscore apron. So without further ado, because that was quite the introduction, I should really practice these intro skills of mine. I'm getting a little bit rusty. Hillary Reeves. Hillary Reeves, welcome to the show. Hi. I, I remember the time when I tried to reach out to you for blogging, mm-hmm. and it took me like a year of <laughs> you and I emailing back and forth. But this pot, remember like, I think when Iris connected us and I was trying to, oh. it took us like a year to finally like meet up. That took a while. But this podcast one, it's like, it took a week. And it was like, easy. Hey, cool. I'm excited. It's like I, I moved up in, in life and I'm now on your list. On my list. <laughs> on your short list. Um, I'm just going to hop into the, the name actually, because mm-hmm. I was reading your blog a while ago and I've always wondered why you named the blog after yourself. And and sure. I realized on the about me where it, you said it you took five years of trying to find yeah like a good um, play on words name. What yeah. are like the the really good ones that didn't make the cut? I'm I'm just like super curious now. Oh, it's so humiliating. <laughs> oh, like, so... <laughs> give one. Oh God, I had one halfway blog. I think I actually made the site and I called it the Singing Cheeseburger. What? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what is, the, what is the thought process? Okay, so, I mean, all through, like, high school, I was a very serious um, singer. Yeah. Like, classical, I, like, sing at Carnegie Hall, like, that kind of thing. And so I took that yeah. very seriously, and my mom, like, assumed I was going to go to music school and all that kind of thing. And so it was always part of my life, but I was moving away from it. And I thought it would be fun, just because I'm aware of music and I love music, yeah. I was very aware of going to restaurants and like mm-hmm. the ones that had great soundtracks. Yo, so I wanted yeah, to blog about restaurants that had good music. Yeah. Is there an example of one that you know? I remember I wrote about Motorino at the oh, time. Oh, yeah, the, the pizza place. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were just playing like, I don't even remember. It was like Rick Astley and like a bunch of like <laughs> 90s hip hop. But it was perfect for eating pizza. So yeah. I loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why cheeseburger? It's my favorite food. And I remember like sitting and trying to make like a little image in like MS Paint of like a cheeseburger singing. It was a mess. So that was probably like freshman year of college. And that would have been so cool. I still like the idea, but it was just. And then one day you're like, you know what? I'll just stick with my name. Yeah. So that was, again, I would like create mini blogs for like a day, even yeah. if it was just on Tumblr or something. Yeah. Um, and abandoned them and my older sister had a blog for a long time that was her name and then as a marketer as I started to have more marketing experience you know you always hear people say put your name on everything <laughs> so that you're identified with your own, own brand yeah. and obviously if you do that you need a strong brand in the first place but I kind of was like alright let's just do this Yeah. use my name perfect I, I want, and I'll remember to go back to that branding aspect because mm-hmm. when it comes to a food blog you're right like a lot of food blogs have this like 
you know, there's like a, a whimsical nature to it. Yes. And right off the, you know, right off the bat, if you told someone, oh, this is my site, like I wouldn't know it's a food blog. Yeah, so, so that's kind of the trade-off is that, you know, you're starting to brand yourself, but until people know Hillary Reeves is a food person, yeah. they don't see that and think food. So that's, yeah, the trade-off. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I didn't even, see, I didn't even know you, like, were super into classical. And classical music's like, I'm like opera. Yeah, <laughs> opera Holy and, like, crap. classical choir stuff. Didn't you have so to, like, learn different like, languages for that? Yeah, I mean, I still don't know what a lot of it meant, but I had to learn to pronounce Latin, Italian, German, French. Right, right. I was just sure. listening to, I uh, forgot which podcast it was, where the guy was talking about learning languages, but you wouldn't know what they meant specifically for singing. And there's like a yeah. whole curriculum for it. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of times the singing pronunciation is different than the spoken pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. Especially with like French. Huh. Um, so, yeah. It, that's <laughs> the one, you learn something new every day. <laughs> it's supposed to be a food podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's turned into a music one. Um, well, that's singing cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> that was so the connection. Wait, so the, the, the singing cheeseburger and the, the earlier iterations, what did they look like? Because you said you made a bunch of mini ones, even if they were just for like a day. Yeah. Like, like, what did they, What did, it, I'm sure it didn't look like what it does now. Yeah, I mean, I would play around. I remember in high school, I had a live journal, naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got really into like HTML, play, just like playing around. I definitely couldn't have written it from scratch but I would you know figure out how to change colors or put you know an image somewhere and I ended up doing it for a bunch of friends who wanted their live journals to be cooler um so I like that (laughs) aspect of it and so yeah when I was in college and toying around with a blog you know I would just kind of make little sites on blogger or on wordpress um and I never could get the design how I wanted it to look. So that yeah. was another thing that kind of held me back. Now I'm on Squarespace, actually, and I love that about it. It's like the design looks so sleek no matter what. So it's really like, you you know, with WordPress, you have all these plugins and different themes you have to yeah. use, and they're all different. So I'm happy with it now, for sure. I'm, uh, I'm also using Squarespace for, for our oh, yeah. site, and I, I do have to agree that it looks so sleek. Mm-hmm. The only issue is it's not as customizable, obviously, as, yeah. as WordPress. But yeah. We get into that um, later, but when at one point at one point did you say like oh this is what I want it to be now? So the latest iteration, like how did you mm-hmm. say I've got it to where I'm comfortable evolving Hill Reeves? Yeah. So I think I finally I think a big part of it was I graduated. Um, <clears throat> so that was in 2011, and so then by 2012 I was like okay I have a job, I get it I'm ready for a hobby. Yeah. I'm not you know, weighed down with school. And so that was, I think, really the biggest factor is that I just had more time to think about it. Um, And I was, you know, living in New York and I wanted to talk about all the restaurants I was going to. So that's when I started. But again, it was like, I I put my name on it and then I started blogging, but it was still kind of a mess. Um, Mm. So really, I mean, I think it started to get serious probably only like a year and a half ago when I really started to like learn about photography and think about it hard. Um, and once you start doing that, like, it really does make all the difference just in terms of traffic and the community you build with other bloggers. Images, um, you mean? Taking photos? Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Um, taking photos. So just figuring that out, figuring that lighting matters and what yeah. time of day is the right time to take pictures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, once I focused on that and once I started building out a network of other bloggers, mm-hmm. um, that taught me a lot about how to just build the site. Perfect. We'll get into that building a network too, because even that—that's something even I am curious about. Mm-hmm. But um, what is your most 
popular post of all time? So and up until recently, my most popular post was actually not a recipe post. It was a uh, post about, the title is What to Order at a Korean Restaurant. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's key. Yeah, yeah for so sure. So my boyfriend of 10 years actually is Korean American, and so I write a lot of Korean food content just because I'm trying to yeah. impress his mom, among other things. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> there are secrets out now. <laughs> So I write a lot of Korean recipes, but that was something everyone would ask me all the time. So I was like, I'm just going to write this down. Um, And that was hugely popular. I think it's mostly an SEO thing because the title is spot on, what to order at a Korean restaurant. Um, But very recently, I had a post go like mini viral um, banana bread donuts. So that was really popular. Why do you think that was? Again, I think it's kind of a mashup of keywords, like banana bread and donuts are both very popular, and yeah. the, the pictures came out really well, so okay. that was good. And for, for people who don't know the term, SEO is what? Search engine optimization, so just, I mean, it's it can be a bazillion different factors, but in this case, um, you know, with like the Korean restaurant thing, uh, it was the keywords really that made it work. Okay. In case you're wondering, I'm just like writing for the show notes later, like points that I'm probably going to have to put links to. Okay. <laughs> so put that link for what to order at a Korean. I'm uh, what I confess I haven't read the post. Yeah. What top three things that you would order at a Korean restaurant? So in the post, mm-hmm. I sort of separate it into like if it's hot outside, if you're with a group. Um, but oh, if you're like that's such a great yeah. Oh my god, I would so appreciate posts like that. <laughs> but I mean, if you're new to Korean food, I think the number one thing you know it would be bibimbap, yeah. like a rice bowl, um, bulgogi, yep. so barbecue beef. And the third one's hard. Those are like those are like very quintessential. Yeah. Um, pro- maybe some sort of octopus. Really? Yeah. I would have thought you were you would have said like kimchi chige or something. Like oh that. yeah, that's well, a good point. If it's cold out, if it's hot, I'd probably go for the cold noodles. You're right. A soup, a barbecue, and a rice dish. Yeah, yeah you're right. I, I like since I work right by Ketan, I'm there almost so lucky. every day. Yeah. I've gone on to the more esoteric dishes now uh-huh. because I've graduated past the ones I like thinking about. <laughs> um, okay, so when you when you first started blogging, what mm-hmm. did you find was the most challenging aspect? Most challenging aspect, I think at first, uh, and I really don't feel this way anymore, but just keeping up with it. You like, mean um, like the the commitment to writing the commitment regularly and thinking like, oh gosh, I have to write something this week um, because I did want to get in a habit of like you know, keeping up with it and keeping posts regular on some sort of schedule. Mm-hmm. And when you're first adding that into your life, I, fi- I found that very challenging. And now it's like, you know, I do a Sunday post and a Thursday post and that's that. Um, what made it easier though? Is I think it was a, returning to that, like building out a network idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like accountability to those people. You know, I sort of want to like keep stay top of mind with fellow bloggers we all sort of like help to promote each other's stuff and repin our you know that kind of thing and so if you don't have a fresh recipe to share with that group you kind of fall you you fall back among that so what do you mean by share do you guys have like a like a facebook group or like ah okay there's so many facebook groups so that blew my mind i learned about that when i started working actually at chicory because we work with a lot of food bloggers yeah um it's not only here, by the way. It's like around the world. I've noticed that there's yeah. Facebook groups for every, <laughs> yeah, I had every no blogging idea. niche out there. So there's, yeah, Facebook groups for bloggers. And it's like, all right, it's Monday. We're going to all, uh, it's Pinterest Monday. Everyone post a link to your pin. We're all going to repin. You get like 60 repins. So it's a little shady. Um, yeah. 
but you know I kind of do it a, a little bit here and there just to sort of get a little pickup when I first post a post I don't yeah. do it constantly um, but then out of that you know you meet bloggers who become your friends and so I'm in a smaller group with just like 10 other people and we just talk about blogging whatever but that is the group we like guest posts on each other's site and yeah. all that kind of stuff and so I like to keep myself I feel accountable to that group how does one enter one of these secret organizations well all of the um larger groups they're not public but they sort of like you know you request to join and you know there's probably a couple thousand people in them so it's not like super duper exclusive yeah. but then you do start excuse me to just build relationships with bloggers that you you know identify with you have similar styles or that kind of thing right um, and then you sort of, I think this one, you know, one of the girls was kind of just like, I want a smaller group where you can sort of bitch and moan a little bit yeah, more privately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, that's yeah. how that starts. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. No, for some reason I had this image where like you enter some Masonic temple. Like, <laughs> Here is my offering of pot roast. <laughs> you know? yeah. This is how to get into the group. Well, it's crazy. Like how now that I know that exists, like how so much of that feels manufactured. Right. Like you can make a, you can manufacture something that's quote-unquote viral yeah um by just getting two thousand other bloggers to just like like it on stumble upon or something like right that. right and even like i mean you know working in social media even just the metric like likes mm -hmm. doesn't really mean much anymore because you then you could just boost the post yeah. with, with dollars or something so um on that note then what would you how would you define like a successful or like how would you define success then if it if it's not just like the virality like of your yeah. blog um, <clears throat> I mean, there's a combination of things. Uh, success for me, I think, is I just feel satisfied with it. Um, with the post or the blog? With the post. Okay. So most of the time, and I think this is true with anyone in any project that you work on, you put something out into the world and you're like, I'm not 100% happy with this. Yeah. I would change this. I could rewrite yep. this. But you know what? I just have to let it go. Yeah. Um, but once in a while, there is a post where you're like, this is it. I did yeah. it. <laughs> so, I mean, the b banana bread donuts one felt like that. I was like, these photos are perfect. Yeah. The recipe I know is great. It's going to work. And then it did. And sometimes things take off and you're like, whoa, who cared about that? So yeah. when it like meets up, when things get traffic and are interesting to other people and you feel like, okay, that really worked for me, I think that's the, when I feel most successful. Right. It's the intersection of like yeah. when the public appreciate something that you yourself also appreciate exactly right and so if you had to kind of do an analysis of like 80 20 like the 20 percent of the things that caused 80 percent of the success mm -hmm. what would you say those are I yeah, you said you said images for one a while ago definitely but besides that are there other aspects that you would attribute your like a successful post to yeah um i definitely think I mean, a lot of it, honestly, was, like, understanding the back end of a food blog. Like, there are little things you can do to make yourself more searchable and more findable and that kind of stuff. So it's, like, I wish I had done something sooner, such as get really good headshots done and have one that I use across all my social channels so that someone who finds me finds me again on Twitter and Instagram and knows, oh, that's the same person. Oh, um, huh, okay. And sort of getting that, you know, brand in order was right. something that took me a while. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then the other big thing, just again, is just building a community with other bloggers. Um, that made such a huge difference for me. And you had that network like about a year and a half, right, ago? Did you notice like a, a, a visible uptick? Absolutely. So until I started like connecting with other bloggers and sharing with them in that way, mm -hmm. I was probably getting like on a good day, like 40 views on my blog a day. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's a couple hundred at least a day. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that completely turned around like over the summer when I really started to pick up with other bloggers. And how much, if you don't mind sharing, how mm -hmm. much money do you sink into the blog? Do I sink into it? Yeah. It's hard to put a finger on it with a food blog because oh, so much of it is groceries. Don't even cut that. Don't even cut that. <laughs> I meant I meant like from a technical or like um Oh, got it. I once know. I switched to Squarespace, I used to be spending more on server costs on WordPress. Yeah. Um but once I switched to Squarespace, you know, it's like $8 a month for a year. Um yeah. and then the one time, you know, every two years the $20 uh domain registration. How much were you paying on WordPress? I didn't know it was I think that my boyfriend who helped me set up the server thing was yeah. like, you need a lot more server space than I probably actually needed. Ah, uh, okay. I was about to say, because WordPress was pretty affordable and less than yeah, it, yeah, so it was like 20 bucks a month, and I think it was more that he was like oh. being geeky about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree, because it's, it's hard to quantify how much you spend on the cooking side. Because oh, anyway, like, you, you'd probably cook them anyway. Exactly. You know what I mean? But like... You know, the cost of running a blog, it seems like, are just maintenance of the actual site. Yep. Right? Yeah. Would you say? Would you say that you spent a lot of money on the photography part? I had a camera um, that I still use. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a pretty expensive camera. I think what is, what's the camera, by the way? It's Fujifilm. I always have to look it up. You should. You could send it to me, and I'll put it in the show notes. I'm going to, <laughs> but I'm never. I you know I I don't really know much about photography. I just know how to shoot the recipes I cook in my kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but so I'm not like a, a Canon person. Yeah. But I got this Fuji film, and it's just like it's honestly like a very pretty camera. Yeah. But it works really well. It's some sort of you know like mirrorless something. Um, and it works really oh, well. Oh, I for think me. I know what you're talking yeah. about. I know what you're talking about. Um, do you spend a lot of money on props? Do you, do you think, well, let me back up. Do you yeah. think that it is almost essential to have that props? That's, yeah, definitely something I'm learning is very important. And I and I recognize that the blogs I like reading mm -hmm. have great styling. So that's um that's been a project for me in like Q1 of 2016. <laughs> so I'm sort of building that up. Yeah. I asked for a lot of stuff for Christmas. Um, <clears throat> but it's so much fun to shop for props that it could get out of hand. So I try to only spend on props any money I make from blogging. Where would you, uh, where are places that you would go for props? Um, I go to Whisk. Oh my gosh. Constantly. I just, I just had an interview <laughs> with uh, another Instagrammer um, who bakes and it's like the first thing she said, she's like, do not go to Whisk. I was like, why? She's really? like, you have no idea how much I've dropped at Whisk. Oh, in a good way. Okay. <laughs> oh it's my, like you I go love in the, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else? Uh, other places? Um, there's a couple actually just like thrift stores on my block. Yeah. Um, that I like, I like thrift stores and like Etsy like and that kind of thing. Um, cause I especially, I haven't really shot much of this on my blog yet, but I'm collecting, um, props. I like the look of like antique, uh, yeah. like, there's some good Silverware. spaces in, in Queens that have those. Yeah, and they're so cheap. <laughs> the issue is, though, do you run out of, do you feel like you, you just don't have enough space in your apartment for them? Mm -hmm. 
that's a big factor, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I like carved out a bookshelf that I had books on. They're like all in my closet now. And I'm just putting props on it. <laughs> um, I've never heard that happen before. Everyone was like, I'm trying to build a bookcase. And you're the one who's like, no, you know what? Forget the books. I'm going to put these forks in there. Yeah, a lot of forks, a lot of towels. I love towels from Sur La Table. Like, that's so typical. But they have yeah. great towels. I agree. I actually got some good ones also on um, Fish is Eddie. Love Fishes Eddie. Yeah, especially they're like another clearance, place where I spend the all my money. Plates. Yeah, so good. You're so geeky about this. And <laughs> there's, <feel> like a, <laughs> there's a place that I love, and I don't know what it's called, but I will send it to you. Um, down on like maybe like 19th Street and like Seventh Avenue. I'm gonna send you the name, but it's another just like you walk in and you feel cool. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want everything here. In a in a food blogger way, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I yep. get it. Um, switching switching tracks a bit uh, more on the creative side. How mm-hmm. do you go about? coming up with ideas for posts besides the Korean ones, obviously, because that's to yeah. impress the mom. <laughs> <laughs> I try to come up with things. I, I like to put a twist on things. So, like, I don't want to just have a banana bread recipe yeah. um, because there's so many, and it's like, how do you even choose? If someone's looking for a banana bread recipe, they're going to choose Epicurean. You know, like, they're going to choose the, the title that they know the publication yeah. that they know or the one that appears first in the google results yeah and so like i i understand why some people want to have their banana bread recipe out there um but for me it's way more fun to play with existing ideas mm-hmm. so like recently i made a baked potato bibimbap which i guess is a bibim potato because <laughs> bop means bop rice. Is rice yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like that kind of thing like how can i take this existing idea and sort of play with it um so banana bread donuts, same kind of idea. Yeah. Um, and then otherwise, I just love baking. So I kind of make a chocolate cake every week in one way or another just to eat. <laughs> um, and so playing with that and maybe making, like I made a Guinness cake. That's not so so interesting, but, you know, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, um, yeah. And then if, if it is sort of a more typical recipe, like with the Guinness cake, I like to have a story to go with it. So that specific recipe my aunt sent to me um, – because she was in Edinburgh, um, like, at a at a at the Fringe Festival, because mm-hmm. my cousin had a play in that. And so that sort of story was fun to me. Like, my aunt sent me this recipe from a cafe she visited when she was in Scotland. Yeah. And, um, so and it doesn't it, feel manufactured that way, because it's exactly. an actual story, right? Right. right. So, but if it's just me, you know, doing a pasta carbonara, like, that's very boring to me, and that doesn't excite me at all. Yeah. Well, one thing... Actually, do you need another beer? <laughs> I think I should... Pause. I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I was going to say. Because, I mean, the beer fridge is right there. So, for people listening, we're not in my usual location of my bedroom doing this over Skype. We're actually in my office <laughs> after hours. Um, do, so, this is a question that I've asked primarily with, like, Filipino mm-hmm. interviewees just because it's, I don't know, I feel like it's a question that, you know, in our Facebook groups always comes up. But when you do those twists, do you find some sort of backlash? You know, it, it doesn't matter if it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you making a banana bread donut. Someone's going to be like, oh, my God, you know, yeah. like that's like food porn. But <laughs> if you try to do a twist on Korean food, have yeah. you, you know, do you get any posts where people say that's not the way you make it? I worry about that a lot, honestly. I haven't had any direct backlash yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I honestly, I always run things by Dan, my boyfriend first. Yeah. For the for the Korean posts? Yeah. And I really am like, I try to be very respectful of it because yeah. I, I could see an instance where it's sort of like 
like why was that necessary why did you need to change that yeah um so I always ask for his feedback and he's very honest with me which is fun yeah. and but I mean ultimately it comes down to like did it taste good and right the baked right. potato and like you said it's like <laughs> something fun right like you're trying to experiment with something new yes why not um go back to the technical piece uh what workarounds have you found that have really made blogging easier for you besides you know finding a good network of bloggers so like mm-hmm. what i'm thinking are more like hacks that you've used to make it faster or you know more totally less painless plain, less painful yeah so a couple of things come to mind um first my mind went to having a format and so for me i used to sort of play around with you know how I told stories, what I talked about, where the recipe maybe appeared in my post itself, mm-hmm. interspersing text with photos, that kind of thing. And again, in the past maybe year, I really settled on photos first, maybe two to three paragraphs of a little story recipe. And having that format really helps me think about it and sort of be like, and compartmentalize different things. So it's like, I don't have enough time now to do the whole post, but I can get the photo, I can get the first three the first third done, you know, I can get mm, the, the first in third there. of the components. Exactly. Right. Um, so that really helps me think about it and plan things out, and I, I know what I need to tackle. Um, so that helps me a lot. And it's yeah. so small, but it made a difference. Right. Um, and then the second thing, I mean, it comes down to like the marketing of it. Um, and again, it sounds so small, but it's just like little, little decisions you make about. I guess it is sort of like a format. Like all my pins, mm-hmm. Pinterest is so huge for food bloggers, but all my pins are going to look the same way. And before I kind of was like, I don't know, maybe this will work, maybe I'll do a collage, whatever. I had to throw that out at, at a certain point and be like, no, my pins are a vertical image, this many pixels by this many pixels. Mm-hmm. I put my logo down here and I put the title of my post here, done. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it's like, producing a format that all those things can fall into um, just makes it move a lot faster because I'm 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 worrying less about is this good is this right yeah I'm just pushing it out there I I I actually don't think that's and I'm glad you brought that up um, because I don't actually think that's small at all I think it's (laughs) like you know the the idea of reducing cognitive load yeah like that's something that's applicable to everything from like dressing up in the morning like having all yeah so so I feel like you've taken this concept that's not that's not food blog specific, you know? Yeah, and as a creative person, again, you sort of hem and haw about, is this good enough? Is this ready? Is this, you know, ready to share with other people? Yeah. And the more you're like, you know what, just stick it in this format and get it out. Yeah. It just keeps you producing, which is ultimately the only way you're going to get better. Right, right. One, this one is totally self-serving. One <laughs> thing that I found time-consuming and difficult because there's just a lot of steps for me is getting the actual photo into the site because yeah. then I would have to take it out of my camera choose yeah. it if I have to edit the photo I'd probably have to do it through Instagram because I don't have like Adobe or something yeah then emailing it to myself then you know what I mean so mm-hmm. what hacks have you used on the photo side yeah and I think it's kind of exactly what I was talking about again I used to sort of shoot things here and there like depending on what I cooked I now have a very specific schedule and deliberate schedule for how I do things and so like mm-hmm. Sunday is my cooking day I'm going to produce two to three recipes I'm going to shoot them between honestly like 1 and 4 p.m. because that's when the light is yep. best yep. and as soon as I'm done I just plug that into my computer and 
unload them all. And that way they're on my computer. And so like, you know, last week I was visiting my mom in Florida. I'm on the plane. It's time for my Thursday recipe. Everything is on there. And I don't have to worry about, oh, crap, I left the photos. Yeah. I didn't do that yet. Um, so it's like scheduling my time out in that way. And obviously occasionally it changes because you have something come up on Sunday at 3 p.m. Um, but making deliberate choices to have kind of a schedule about it. And I'm such a type B person. So that, so that was hard for me. Yeah. I don't like scheduling. I like sort of like free-flowing and whatever. But yeah. it, it really helps you to keep grinding, you know. <laughs> like a system, yeah, a system where you don't have to think about it. Because the less yeah. you think about it, the, the easier it gets. Exactly. Interesting. Um, in terms of the writing then, so we, talk, we talked about the actual you know, putting the components together. But when it comes down to just the writing, mm-hmm. how, how do you become a better writer or how have you I know that's a, a very vague question but I noticed <laughs> like you've written for other things before you've been doing this blog for a while mm-hmm. what are, are there like specific routines you do or practices that help you become a better writer that's an interesting question I kind of started the blog because I wanted to be more of a writer mm-hmm. um so yeah thinking back to like college all my internships were in editorial roles at different magazines and then when I graduated I was doing marketing and I still am but kind of more from the content side because yeah. that's kind of how marketing is going anyway. Yeah. Um, and so I'm always very conscious of my writing. Um, and when I first started my blog, that was the most important part of it for me. Um, but that said, I kind of found it, that was the most stressful thing for me. Like, is this good writing? Yeah. And that's what prevented me from producing because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't sure if I had things to say. So now I honestly make it more of a diary and I don't know if that's for better or worse, but it makes it a lot easier for me and it makes the blog more fun for me because there isn't the pressure of producing perfect content. And maybe that comes with having, you know, other freelance projects where I am thinking more consciously about blo- about writing. And so when I'm in, when I'm producing something for someone else or another publication, another client, um, I think that's when my writing improves technically because I am... Uh, you know, more formally editing myself and thinking about word choice and whatever. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, ends up trickling down to my more diary style entries on the blog. Right. Okay. So you're using an external practice that. Yeah. And I think that, yours. like, keeping yourself, if you are doing a project that's your own thing, um, you know, keeping yourself accountable again to other people in one way or another, having clients in some way, writing recipes for another publication or something like that keeps you improving in a way that's not so, uh, you know, internal. Right. Are there other writers that you look up to that you're like, wow, I really like their style? It doesn't have to be food bloggers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, I love David Leibovitz. I think he's ultimately, like, my favorite blogger slash right. food writer. Um, I love Molly Ye. I don't know if you read her site, but her site, like, the writing is just fun and cute. What's the blog name? MyNameIsYeh.com. She's the one out in uh, Minnesota, right? Love her. Yeah. Yeah. Her. We were actually trying to, like, reach out because I'm, oh, I'm headed cool. there. Oh, cool. She's, like, my favorite. She's so cute and fun. Yeah. Um, I love um, Orangette. Her writing is, like, beautiful. Um, so she's been around for a while, but she's out in the Pacific Northwest and just, like, it's very like dreamy and fun. Yeah. She's great writing. Um, those are kind of like my go-tos if I'm feeling like in a rut. Yeah. But writers, writers. I mean, I could go. I could talk a lot. I studied English in college, so. Oh man, that's a separate podcast then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Classical music <laughs> and English writing. You, yeah. You're basically like the dream uh, major that people wanted to take. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
job. You get to read good books and listen to music. Um, on the opposite end, are there are there certain things that bloggers do that you just like? Ah, oh, irks, oh yeah. irks you. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I don't like. I don't like two things. I don't like anything that's too cutesy. That really gets on my nerves because a lot of times it comes off to me as so just like inauthentic. Yeah. Um, and it's like. What's an example? Like, like someone baked something and they just go like, "Oh my god!" Like, I went to my friend's party and we did this. And is that what you mean, or? Yeah, or, or the recipe is so deliberately cute, like a rainbow cupcake with unicorn frosting. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like so Pinteresty. And I yeah. know that sounds snobby, yeah. um, but I just see so much of it yeah. that it feels again inauthentic and like produced for traffic reasons like I know people want this right. so that drives me crazy but then on the other end I don't like anything that takes itself too seriously um that also annoys me the, <laughs> sometimes the opposite just... end of the spectrum basically yeah the too, yeah this too cerebral ones yeah like mm-hmm. anyone who's just thinking too hard about it like it's food it should be to a certain extent fun and lovable and like it should make you feel good it shouldn't make you feel bad for making a choice about one food or another you know oh man that's that's a road i'm not gonna even (laughs) (laughs) like we could go on forever on (laughs) the uh the philosophy but there's there's so much to appreciate like i am the kind of person who loves a big mac and loves a fancy meal at danielle or something yeah and there's all there's like beauty and wonderful things in both of those and mm-hmm. I don't like the idea that something is better than another thing yeah yeah I was um I had a very slight what do you call them Instagram conversation with uh <laughs> god I'm forgetting the name of the the Instagram handle now it was like a a girl's name I forgot what it was but she said something about how people could post a I'm sure while we're talking about this, I could pull it up. But, you know, when people post mm-hmm. something like uh, a really well-made stock or like mm-hmm. some, you know, rich stew and mm-hmm. they'll get like five likes, a couple shares. But you you put something that's like the most basic cake, but it's super colorful and yeah. obviously written for traffic and you get like a yeah. thousand likes and it's like, you know, what are you really driving towards, right? Like exactly. all, I think um, there was a piece called In Defense of Ugly Food. <laughs> oh, I saw so I linked it and she was like yeah I block people who call food ugly because it's like all food's good you know what I mean it's just a matter of yeah and there's so much more to it that's that's kind of a downside to blogging is so much of it is does this look good Mm -hmm. um and there's so much more to it than that yeah that gets lost what would you say is a, a misconception around blogging or things that people focus too much on and they forget that there's like oh I didn't know that was the case I think it's a lot I think everyone would say this about anything they do but I think it's a lot more work than people might expect Mm, yeah um and I also think that there's a perception of who a blogger is when you say that word it's kind of it's just a shitty word like I wish there was another way to describe it um auteur or whatever (laughs) (laughs) took it a whole new level um but it's the same sort of thing when you hear the word like hacker you picture some like hairy guy in a basement (laughs) do you know what I mean yeah and a blogger you pick you picture like a perfect looking mom who uses Pinterest and has like a sweater and you know and that's not 
true. Like, yeah. it's so diverse, and there's people, like you said, all over the world producing awesome content that they're yeah. really working hard on. Um, and when it's, you know, reduced to, like, this idea of, like, cutesy moms making cupcakes, yeah, that's damaging to really hard work that people are doing. Right. It's, um... It's the modern way of how people share share their food, especially yeah. if you can't you know be yeah. at the same place. I think I was at this like blogger brunch that um, the girl that I just interviewed for the the previous episode uh, invited me to, and it was this like big dude looked like a like a pro wrestler, <laughs> and I was like, who who is that? He's like, oh, they have a burger Instagram account. I'm like, what? Like, you know, <laughs> That's awesome. it doesn't doesn't jive with your mom with the sweater exactly um, uh, perception. Yeah. Um, so we're a little over halfway. I wanted to ask one more thing about blogging before mm-hmm. we switch on to, if uh, it's the correct term, your day hustle. Your day <laughs> so if, if someone wanted to, because we, I, I don't want to focus too much on how do you monetize a blog because that's not really everyone's goal, yep. right? So if someone did want to use blogging as a viable side hustle, so they're making, they might not be living off of the blog, but they're making some serious cash with it. Yep. How much effort would they have to put into it? Would they, would they, you know, have to only be working freelance jobs on the side? Like how, what's, what's kind yeah. of general idea behind that? So this is actually a really good transition because with my, you know, day job, I meet a lot of bloggers that we work with, um, and so I've sort of seen the full spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I will say that people who end up making it their money maker, yeah. their main source of income, end up doing it full time almost always because it's it's so much work and the things that take time, like you know, you can you can build traffic and put ads on your site and that's that. Um, but that amount of money is gonna be comparatively minimal to the amount of money you can get doing influencer style marketing and like sponsored content. Mm-hmm. And that takes, at least in the beginning, a lot of honestly like PR work and it's it becomes a full-time job to reach out to different brands and companies and pitch yourself and pitch content ideas that you will then get compensated for right um and so doing that at night like in the in while also producing content and promoting that on your own you know social media channels and whatever um it's almost impossible so people sort of end up trickling out of their uh regular full-time stuff to take on more blogging responsibilities right um so it just depends on how serious you want to get to it but there you know it is possible to transition and i think a lot of people end up doing that yeah i just uh heard about there's actually like businesses or or sites that are the middlemen so they'll 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 group a bunch of brands yep have a database of bloggers that they'll just like vet and curate I didn't even know there was such a oh, it's <laughs> such honestly a, platform a pretty big market. Yeah. There's a lot of companies that do that and some better than others and they're doing it in all interesting ways and again good transition cuz it's kind of the stuff that we deal with at Chicory. Perfect. Well, let, let's <laughs> let's get into that. So so day gig you work at Chicory. What do you do for them? So I am the marketing manager at Chicory um, and I started almost exactly a year ago I was the fourth hire on the team Mm -hmm. and we've almost doubled in size at this point and we're growing pretty quickly um so I'm my title is marketing manager but I really lead sort of all communications initiatives for the company communications okay Mm -hmm. so that's online and offline yeah okay and one line description of the company chicory uh developed the technology to make recipes shoppable she got her elevator pitched down. 
had no choice. Um, I was I was looking through the the website <clears throat> and I think one of the I was thinking of like what are what are the the things that pop out to me. One of the interesting things that popped out to me about chicory is that you could get insights as to what recipes of yours mm-hmm. are people cooking. Yep. Right, which which really is very valuable as a blogger because then I could say, okay, these are the, the pieces of content that resonate with me or with other people like the banana banana bread, right? Yeah. Um, what are other use cases for that? Like, are there other mm-hmm. things that people can get value out of knowing what people, you know, what recipes are popular? Yep. So that's exactly the questions we're asking. So it's fascinating. So, I mean, stepping back a little bit, the thing that's interesting about working with recipe and food content is that it's really hard to make sense out of for a computer. And so if you have, you know, if we're matching an ingredient line to a product in the store that we need to deliver to a consumer who's Mm -hmm. bought that recipe, um, the product is a pound of chicken. Right. The recipe line could say one boneless, skinless chicken breast, two boneless, skinless chicken breast. there's so many places or diced a diced chicken breast like there are so many ways to describe that single product that ultimately is one pound of boneless chicken breast um and so making sense of all of that data is exactly what we did um Mm -hmm. and it's really challenging and so by doing that we can normalize all of it and understand a lot of interesting things about how people shop and how that relates to recipe content and so Exactly. So it's interesting for bloggers in that we can tell them what people are actually making versus what maybe you might get a lot of page views on. Um, but then we turn around and think about, you know, how to make that interesting to brands. Because ultimately in like the grocery industry, grocery doesn't make a lot of money. Like the profit margins are very of small. Course. Of course. And so where the money is, is with the brands. And so we can turn around and say to a brand like, I don't know, Ritz Crackers, Um, not only this person is interested in crackers because they looked at a recipe with crackers in it and we could potentially retarget them or something like that, but we could also say to them, here's 10 ways people are using your product that you had no idea about. Mm -hmm. And we know that because we normalize all these data. So like, you know, with crackers, we could say, you know, they're using it in pie crust. They're using it to bread their chicken. They're using it in all these ways you maybe didn't think of. And that gives you marketing ideas and advertising ideas that you, again, didn't think of. Right. So it's, it's not only retargeting highly interested users who are about to buy a thing, but it's also just insights that, we, that people didn't know before. That, um, that was actually going to be my next question is whether you can get insights at the ingredient level, which it, it seems like you can. Yep. Um, in your opinion, do you feel like technology like that empowers the brands more than the consumers, or is it about equal? And the reason I ask that is because mm-hmm. I'm in the same job. It's just... Yeah the data I'm analyzing is is not food data, right? right? It's social data, which brands are like, how are they, how are people using our products? Yeah. Right. And w- with that insight, I can create better ads. I can do that. Um, so I've heard arguments on both sides, which say the brands are now more powerful because they can manipulate you into buying <laughs> these products. But yeah. I've also heard, no, it's because now they're listening to consumers more and consumers have more power. What, where, where do you think the, the, the line in the sand goes? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a question, like you said, for every industry. Um, but I think until now, the brands were really dictating what was being put out there. You know, mm-hmm. Coca-Cola makes an ad that tells you what Coca-Cola is, not only as a product, but as a lifestyle choice and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And exactly, like now they're actually listening. So at least with Chicory, 
it's important for us to put consumer behavior first and that informs the advertising spend rather than the other way around. Mm, right. How about for the use case where and I have to I, I just caught myself today like needing to remind myself to stop using that word because it's such a jargony <laughs> use case. Um, how about for instances where you want to have people try something new? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like how how would you be able to to do that? Because if you're only surfacing what's popular right now, so yep. for example, last year kale, everyone's yeah. just gonna market <laughs> kale. Yeah. But you might want them to try like I don't know fermented shrimp paste, and which might not be popular. It's not getting any views. But how do you, you know, yeah. is there a way to get around that? So for us, I mean, I was honestly working on this today. For us, it ends up starting just because of the way the business has end up, ended up becoming modeled. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts first with the brand coming to us and saying, here's our product, what do you know about this? Mm-hmm. And so like today I was producing like, it wasn't for any brand in particular, but it was um, just to share around a Cinco de Mayo trends report. So how are people cooking, you know, Tex-Mex style food or Mexican food. Mm-hmm. It was ended up being more Tex-Mex. <laughs> um, but yeah, then the trends become dictated by the publishers, which is interesting because I'm starting with the brand who's saying, I want to know about Cinco de Mayo trends because I'm getting ready to advertise for that. Yeah. And so then I turn around and look at our data and say, oh, okay, so I'm going to look up margaritas and see not only what are the traffic trends to that, mm-hmm. but also what are the... Uh, the publisher trends on that so what are bloggers thinking about and doing with margarita ideas in the past you know six months or whatever we decide and so I saw people are making jalapeno margaritas they're making basil margaritas they're doing these interesting things um, and then we turn around and tell the brands about that so that informs their their content for Cinco de Mayo based on what's already sort of creeping up in trends is do you find because you mentioned a while ago that you're able to analyze both um, what recipes are being written versus mm-hmm. what people are actually making. Mm-hmm. Is, is the mm-hmm. overlap pretty good there or is there a disconnect where like bloggers are all writing about all this but what's actually getting made is totally different? There's it's, it, it's pretty apparent how to weight those things because it ends up being the things that people want to cook are slow cooker, crock pot, yeah, e- yeah. easy five ingredients. So you understand pretty quickly what... Um, I guess keywords to sort of take with a grain of salt yeah and we end up sort of weighting those trends in one way or another because again what people cook and what they order groceries for Mm -hmm. is very different from what bloggers might be playing with um so we sort of weight things in different sort of ways going back and this is a bit of a uh going back to the our our conversation about blogging yeah do you think that people cook with bloggers right or (laughs) <laughs> do, do most of what bloggers write is really just like food porn and there's a 10% like the good heartwarming yeah. doesn't have to look pretty food yeah. that people actually do cook I, I wonder those things because it does end up being the stuff that they buy is really like typical stuff it's like weeknight meals yeah and then bloggers produce these crazy 10-layer cakes that no one's going to make. <laughs> and I think things like Pinterest fails or that kind of thing is like a testament to that. I love that. that stuff. You know, like people yeah. try it because they're curious, but ultimately it's a project for them. It's not what yeah. they're making on a daily basis. And so, again, that's kind of what we have to think about in working with brands and what, what are people actually buying versus what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and both have value for sure but it definitely it's hard to say and there are certain blogs for sure that people cook more from and there are certain blogs that people just enjoy looking at more yeah there's the see i caught myself i was about to say use case <laughs> like there's different ways that people enjoy blogs yes basically some exactly. are for cooking some are for for reading exactly and some are for the visuals um how do you go about vetting the various brand partners like, are there ways where you're just like, you know what, we're definitely not going to work with that kind of brand? <laughs> not the brand itself, but like those kinds, categorically speaking. Like, oh, we don't we don't touch that kind. That hasn't happened yet. Um, but I mean, being a startup and like just sort of the personality of who we are as Chicory and our brand, I think attracts a certain amount of brand right now mm -hmm. um so it's also a lot of smaller companies who are testing things out and really big cpg companies who are kind of optimizing again yeah, just sort of like sure we'll try that let's see what happens yeah um so there hasn't been a case yet where we're like oh this isn't quite right um i'm sure i could see it happening i'm trying to think of an example of what that could be um I don't know, but I guess we'll see when it, when it happens. Yeah, I mean, if we had startups. to go there, the only thing I could think of that's like the darker version of data, right? Because data, data's, data's a tool. Yeah. You know, if you want to use it bad, you can. The only thing I could think of is if someone wanted to convince people, like I'm watching these documentaries, right, of like how people are convinced that Wonder Bread's good because yeah. they're like, oh, we added all these nutrients, and that's yeah. the only the bad thing I could think of of having this data and saying. Oh, they're searching this. If you can create the link between a supposedly healthy food with, yeah, you know, with kale infused <laughs> soft drinks or something. I mean, I think that's the beautiful thing about working on ingredient level and recipe data because the things people end up wanting to work on with us are more, you know, like wholesome ingredients. It's yeah. not like people are going to sell Oreos necessarily through a recipe advertising tool. Right, they're going to sell yogurt and oil and hot sauce and like things that are more the component going itself. into cooking rather than a final product which ends right. up being where a lot of the problems work i could see i could see on the other side though having to take issue with certain publishers honestly yeah producing content content that we don't agree with um which has sort of come up a little bit but you know again you sort of feel it out as it happens right of course and i don't know if you can answer this but what what sort of content would you normally try to shy away from <laughs> or like there are certain themes was, this is a very bizarre example but it sort of speaks to this question i guess um one time we got a recipe come into the system that called for human meat get that and i was like what <laughs> is happening we can't do this and so it's like red flag red flag <laughs> it ended up being sort of like a lorem ipsum like placeholder for like a person who was playing around and building a site oh and i was like that is very God. inappropriate it's so morbid <laughs> oh man so that's the only time i've been like put on the brakes this can't happen we can't that's the point where you like you call him like could the, you imagine if chicory pops up and is like bye human being <laughs> would even grow i would actually that. think that traffic would spike because people would actually legit try to find out who is selling this human meat yeah. you know so that it again that's it bizarre. ended up not being real but i was like whoa is this what's out there <laughs> <laughs> that's so bizarre um you brought up brands and now i i'm i'm i was just reminded of the fact that like Branded recipes have existed for a while, though. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember my mom would clip these things from magazines that say mm-hmm. one can of Campbell's soup, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so how is it different now? Because recipes like that have been around for a while. Branded. Yes. And has this changed the game or is this just an optimization of it? It honestly is kind of a few questions wrapped into one. So, you know, back of the box recipes traditionally were produced in a test kitchen by that company. So Campbell's had a test kitchen and there were people making casseroles with cream of mushroom soup and like yeah. putting that on the back of the box. And so now brands recognize that there are influencers who are producing really high quality content. The traffic is already there. The audience is already there. And the audience trusts this blogger. Right. And so they want to capitalize on a, re- on a recipe that calls for yogurt and say well i'm chobani so i want to sponsor that Ah, recipe that already exists and so we're trying to play around with ways to do that so maybe it's a little coupon that shows up in the recipe card that didn't exist before that the blogger gets paid for and that kind of question but then also potentially pay the bloggers to do sponsored contents content via us and sort of they can charge a higher premium perhaps because we can not Mm -hmm. only produce an influencer package where they're talking about Chobani or yeah. whomever, but then also that recipe is shoppable. So not only is that an influencer play, but it's literally a it it can be tied to purchases. That's that's really um, that's really interesting because it it almost democratizes recipe development. Yep. Rather than having, I'm sure the test kitchen is technically sound and it's got yeah. science backing it, but mm-hmm. idea generation cannot be confined. You know, yeah. like the more people you have, the better the idea, or, or the more crazy ones you get out there mm-hmm. human meat you know? <laughs> um from a consumer standpoint and i know we're getting up to the top of the hour and i want to mm-hmm. ask more you know, quicker questions for this but from a consumer standpoint do you think it's easier um to buy straight from a technology like chicory like do you think that's the norm or do you do you think that there's still a big you know this is a supplement to how people shop today. Like, for example, mm-hmm. I foresee myself on the weekends taking the time out to go to a farmer's market. Mm-hmm. Or do you think that the, in the future, people don't have to go to stores? Mm-hmm. You would have these central distribution units, shop everything online, comes to you, good to go. Right. So that's kind of the nature of the startup world. Mm. And specifically for us, like online grocery in general is very young, um, which is exciting. So we don't know a lot about how people use online grocery shopping. And mm-hmm. are they using it just to buy things they don't want to carry home from the store, like, you know, big things in toilet paper, you know, that kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah. Or are they ordering dinner for the week? Are they ordering recipes? Do people buy recipes? And we have data that argues, yes, they do, or people pull up a recipe on their phone in the store and buy those ingredients. Right. Um, but figuring that stuff out for us has been really fascinating, and it's kind of kind of what we still need to do with the data that we have. Um because it's constantly changing. And so I think, I mean, more jargony words, but I think millennials especially are learning more about food and learning about more how they want that food to have been produced Mm -hmm. or grown. And so there are instances where, um, you know, you wanna go to a farmer's market to get your produce or your meats or something, Um, but there are, you know, food deserts across the country where people don't have access to that. And not only do they not have access to great farmer's markets, but they don't have access to a grocer, period. Yeah, Um, like fresh produce. Yeah, yeah. and so, like, how can online grocery fit that need? And then sort of somewhere in the middle, you know, if you're in a suburb of Nashville or something, I don't know, um, 
and you can get great produce at your grocery store but you can't get tapioca flour or you can't get you know some new Asian hot sauce that you've been wanting to try that you saw in Bon Appetit how do you find access to that or that you saw on a blog that was talking about it Um, so maybe it's not people in that case are buying entire recipes but they're buying ingredients they want to try and I do think that that's the trend is that people are getting more adventurous with what they want to try in the kitchen um, and are cooking more and so that's you know what we're trying to figure out I, I, I it just sparked this idea in my head you know thinking about business models and I'm sure you guys have, have already figured this out. So, but if not, like, oh my gosh, maybe I could like help influence this yeah. space. Right? Because that's one way that Netflix has been able to become successful is they mm-hmm. didn't focus on the big blockbusters. It was the long tail. Yep. Right? And so they've managed to cheapen the delivery so that they can get all these obscure things that maybe only two people will want this movie. Yep. In this case, maybe only two people will want that extra spicy ghost pepper hot sauce that's made mm-hmm. in the Amazonian jungle. But <laughs> yeah. if you collect all these obscure ingredients and make it cheap to get there, and you have all these people who are trying from different blogs. And that informs you know. a lot of the grocery partners that we end up going after. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like we work with Peapod, which is the on- largest online grocer in the country, but do they have those more obscure ingredients? Cause, because they are a more traditional grocer. And so maybe we'll pursue... Um, you know, like we integrated with Amazon specifically for that reason, for the hard-to-find mm. pantry items. Or we're looking, you know, to talk with alcohol delivery services because right. um, that too is something that we're finding maybe people don't go out to buy in the same way. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how we're playing with it. But it's really interesting to work yeah. around. I think that obviously this one's just my opinion now is the way I could see myself using it. When you said, oh, millennials pull up their phone, yeah. well, I, I totally do that. You know? <laughs> and so I could see where 80% of your ingredients, the yeah. bulk ones, like the dried beans or dried goods, I right. could totally order through. Whereas the one specialty ingredient or like the meat where I want to know my farmer, right? that's the one I would probably on the weekend go That's how I do it with. too. Yeah. So yeah. makes sense. Oh my gosh. Like, um, <laughs> I, before I close out this section, I because this is a topic that I wasn't even... I have to admit that going into this podcast, I didn't even know we'd be talking about data as in depth <laughs> as this, right? Yeah. So this is really, this is super, super exciting for me because that's kind of what I got over. Is there something that you wish I had asked when it comes to food and data that you would have thought like, oh my gosh. like That's a fun question. Honestly, I think that you asked the questions I would have wanted you to ask. I think that people immediately think when we talk about what we do, um, they think about it from the consumer perspective Mm -hmm. and they immediately think about it like okay I'm a consumer I want to order ingredients how does that work who are your grocers what products you have available what recipe sites are you on and people don't think about the data angle and how that could be used for brands and how that could be used for publishers um, which was kind of your leading question Um, but I mean maybe it's because you have you know more of a data mind but (laughs) (laughs) you call me a geek (laughs) that's a compliment to me anyway (laughs) but even we've had that you know that stumbling block a little bit in the staff like we bring on a new hire and it's like they're immediately brainstorming about okay how do we make this product better for consumers Mm -hmm. and it's like there's there's so many prongs to this market Mm -hmm. and we have had to think through where is the money where why is this useful how do we yeah how do we make use of everything we've learned about food data that didn't exist before yeah from Um, macro yeah and that's what's been informing a lot of the business decisions which is really cool yeah the reason I asked that is just because I I, um, 
I've had to go on the fly off the questions that I, I originally wrote, which was more blogging focused. Because <laughs> once you start talking about data, I'm just like, I'm all in it. You know what I mean? Um, on the other side, though, was there something about blogging that you wish I had asked? Hmm. That you're like, you know, because there could be something about blogging that I totally don't know about. The thing, I mean, the things that surprised me most that I, I, so at Chicory, we do work with about 500 blogging partners specifically. We have bigger recipe partners as well, but bloggers, we work with a bunch. Um, and we are constantly talking to them about the tech side of their sites. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't understand how to mark up their content for like optimal SEO and like that kind of thing. So there are, you know, there are literally tags you can put on your ingredients to say, this is an ingredient, like pull a snippet from this and it makes your Pinterest performance better. It makes your Google performance better. It's like stuff like that. Or like even having like alt tags on your images. Um, So that's kind of like, it's very boring, but it's kind of been like my mission to like make blogs better in that way because people don't take the time always. You know, they they set up a WordPress site and they're done, but they don't think about that kind of stuff. We should do... um like a follow-up like 15 minute episode where you just go through like a site audit the, a, or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a checklist. Like, have you done your tags today? Yeah, exactly. Um, when you say tagging an ingredient, what do you what do you mean by that? Because isn't there just a section right before you publish where you say these are the tags for this post? But you could, you're saying to tag the actual yes. ingredient? So yeah, so in your HTML markup, you want to be looking at tagging up your content. So this is getting big with Google this year, they're worrying about um, your content markup. So if you're not a food blogger, it's things like tagging your author, tagging your published date, tagging your updated date, mm-hmm. um, which affects your ranking. And then for recipes, yeah, you want to tag up, you know, you can look up, there's a couple different formats. There's like hrecipe or schema.org has a, a recipe markup. Um, and on WordPress, there are a few um, plugins you can use to do this for you. But if you understand, you know, HTML, you can just do it yourself. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's you know, essentially, like, dung down. It's just you're tagging your ingredients, you're tagging your recipe instructions, and that's telling Google, hey, this is a recipe. So if someone searches, um, you know, uh, spaghetti bolognese, um, and that's what your post is, they're mm. recognizing that as a recipe rather than an article about the history of bolognese and blah, right, blah, blah. Right, 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 right. Um, but on the front end, no one would see those tags. Correct. It's really to tell the machines in the back. Exactly. And so when you see, like, rich pins on Pinterest that have the recipe beneath the photo that you're looking at, yeah, that's a result of doing that kind of tagging. Oh. In any case, I think I should do a site audit. <laughs> <laughs> For me, because the most I'll do is I'll tag the post itself, but I'm just like, yeah, there's a whole oh, there's, bunch of markup you can do. There's a whole other civilization living in our computers that we don't know about. Yeah, and this Sky is like net. how I spend my day to day, like talking to bloggers on the phone, like, well, have you done this? <laughs> and they're probably thinking, like, I just want to make rainbow donuts <laughs> with unicorn frosting. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> So this last section, these are just pretty much questions that I ask almost every everyone who's been on the show. Okay. They're pretty fast. You can choose to answer them fast if you'd like or wax poetic. Up right. to you. Cool. <laughs> so person who most influenced you either from a culinary or writing standpoint and why? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um, from a culinary standpoint, I'm going to go with that because writing, I don't even know. That's fine. <laughs> from a culinary standpoint... Is it boring to see my family? No. Okay. No, it's my not family. at all. Why is that? <laughs> so it's kind of maybe a different reason than usual. My mom was not a cook. Mm-hmm. My family is uh, English, 
historically, mm-hmm. um, which isn't a great cuisine in general. Um, and so I think as my, me and my sisters, I have a bunch of sisters, as we grew up, we started to take interest in food because that wasn't a thing we grew up with at all. Like my mom was very like back of the box recipes and we had yeah. cereal for dinner every once in a while, that kind of thing. Um, and so it's less like, oh, I'm trying to cook the food of my childhood and more like it was a whole new world for me Yeah. Um, that I sort of discovered with my sisters as yeah. we got older. Very cool. And that's not boring at all because you're probably the third or fourth person who said that. Really? Where they said like, like don't get me wrong, my family didn't know how to cook. And, <laughs> you know. Um, and I wonder if that's the mark of cultural decline of us. <laughs> We're like forgetting how to do these basic things. Um, <laughs> best kitchen tool you've purchased ever. Ooh. Besides the knife, don't say the knife. Okay. That I've purchased that I that I use maybe. I, uh, let's go with use actually. You're right. I let's use tongs you. for everything. Tongs and or like big cooking chopsticks. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> um, I think having like an extension of fingers is very useful, way more than like a spatula. Like that's yeah. very difficult to use. So I like having ways to like grab and pinch and that kind of thing. Yeah, especially when you're plating. Yeah, You know, totally. like little tweezer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, three spices to describe you. <laughs> that's fun. Um, three spices. I feel like most people would kind of say like sweet cutesy things, so maybe like cinnamon. Okay. Um, maybe some, can I say like gochugaru or something? Yeah, yeah gochujang. I mean, okay. <laughs> something a little bit spicy. So it's like the um, Korean uh, chili paste. Yeah, you can have the chili paste, but like gochugaru is like the flakes. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that covers baking, Korean, and then. <laughs> maybe oregano <laughs> your voice suddenly dropped like ah, oregano <laughs> why why oregano the smell of it like reminds me of my youth i grew up on long island and like uh, every okay. party was like baked cd in the aluminum tray <laughs> so it just like <laughs> it feels like home is chicory a spice chicory is the vegetable yeah because i've seen it added in yeah. coffee Yes. You know, like the Vietnamese. That's the root. Yeah. And then the leaves you can use in like a salad. Ah, interesting. I don't know if it was a spicy <laughs> would have probably said something about it. Um, <laughs> one, okay, this is going to be a tough one because I think knowing you, you've, you've probably seen a lot of these. Uh, one book, documentary, or resource for the common man that you'd recommend just for, I don't know, to become, to have a better relationship with food. My number one is, I always get the name wrong, Blood, Bones, and Butter by Gabrielle Hamilton. So she's the chef who opened up Prune downtown, which is like, just like the most fantastic little like brunch spot, but you can go there any time of day. Um, And she just has such a cool story and just her relationship with food and the way that she sort of stumbled into it and like started in catering because she didn't know what else to do. And now it's like her life. Um, And just the way that she talks about it to me, like I think about it all the time. Interesting. I'm going to have to get that because... I've heard it mentioned before. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, now that I know I'm on your list so we could meet up in less than a year, I should borrow that copy. Um, So imagine you wrote... Okay, this is a good one because I'll edit the question a bit. Imagine you wrote a blog post about your entire food journey. Mm -hmm. What would be the one line, like the... What would be the title? Like your main message about (laughs) everything you've done when it comes to food. I think this is right. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) 
I heard this is how you do it. <laughs> At first, I thought you were saying, like, I think this is right as in the, the answer to your question. But No, it would be like, I think this is how you make a cake. <laughs> that, that, that. Yeah. I always feel like I'm sort of, like, you know, making it up as I go along. Um, mm. And it's like, oh, whoa, this worked. Um, but I like that outlook on things. Like, I don't ever want to feel like I've completely figured something out, which is why I like putting twists on things and trying new stuff. Yeah. Um, Before I get to the last <laughs> question, I want to follow up on that because I think it's, there's this underlying question that comes with any art, right? Of like having mm-hmm. the confidence to put something out there. Because mm-hmm. you said, you know, there are legit some people who don't produce anything because they're scared of... Yes what people might think of what they've created how how do you how do you how have you built that confidence so i ended up hearing this like advice from ira glass at one point that was very life-changing for me and i'm definitely paraphrasing but the way that he described it was like if you're a creative person who really if you're a creative person or an artistic person you see things that you like and you think that's good i want to do something like that Mm -hmm. um but the process to get to a point where you could produce that mm-hmm. is long and messy and horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like you're, it takes you a while. And so you're producing things all along that time. And because you have taste and because you're artistic, you know it's not what you want it to be. Yeah. Um, and so hearing that and hearing that it was part of the process and part of getting good was being bad first. Yeah. Um, really like gave me confidence to just be like, all right, we're just going to like, yeah, exactly. And like, everyone goes through this. You just have to like bust it out and you know, you're never going to be completely satisfied with it. So you just have to keep trying. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think it's like, uh, who else wrote that piece about like make good art or something like that Mm -hmm. where it was just like that. It's like, it's going to, it's going to be messy. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's so corny, but it's like the fun part is like working on it. Right. It's the process, mm-hmm. not the uh, not the end rainbow cookie with <laughs> unicorn frosting. Um, so, final final question: Where can people follow your journey? Oh, fun! Um, I'm Hill Reeves almost everywhere. So, hillreeves.com, H-I-L-L-R-E-E-V-E-S. Okay. Um, same on Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, my site, my Twitter, my Instagram, those are the big ones. My God, she got her branding done. Yeah, <laughs> you'll branded. see me standing there smiling with a croissant on a plate. Uh, <laughs> where do you, how about um, when it comes to, to chicory? Totally. So we're at chicory.co, C-H-I-C-O-R-Y.co. Um, and so from there, you can learn about our business. Um, our blog is pretty fun. That's where you can find all like the trends that Paula was talking about. Um and you know we're on social media and stuff but i would start at the website are there are there events that you guys go to that they can i, I don't know mm-hmm. if you go to like food tech connect or like we do a lot of food tech connect stuff um we uh go to a lot of food blogging conferences specifically um and then yeah i'm working on uh, attending some more food techie stuff um there's there's an event coming up later this year by edible manhattan i think think we'll be at that um so yeah check our twitter we'll keep you posted nice <laughs> nice nice okay well this has been one of the more enlightening and maybe it's just because data was brought up and i'm like oh my god <laughs> something i can actually talk about um but thank you so much for the time uh i think that it'll be interesting to see a couple years from now when the online grocery industry matures a little bit and yeah even blogging like it's changed so much it'd be interesting to talk about well, provided I'm still here in New York. <laughs> I'm sure technology will allow us to talk over long distances. 
um, to see and catch up and see what's going on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This yeah. was fun.